that the Karma Club is my idea um, for how to force people to think at least once a week about making the world a better place and about doing it without uh, necessarily thinking about money first. Not saying I have anything against money. I'm all into money and I'm all into Bitcoin, but I'm more into karma because I have a grandchild. And once you have a grandchild, you begin thinking about the future in ways that you never thought about it before. And in addition to having a grandchild, I live along the, uh, not exactly along, but I live in the state that borders uh, Mexico on the south. And that means that um, we, at any moment, we could be flooded by climate immigrants. And most people in Arizona don't think of them as climate immigrants, but but they really are and they will continue to be. So this is going to be a very interesting next 25 years of trying to figure all this stuff out. And I, the climate conference is underway. Um, is it today or tomorrow? That in, in uh, Glasgow where the president is going to try and explain to people that, yeah, we are doing something about it. And I, I'm supposed to start Sunday. Sunday. Okay, good. So thanks. You, you can always furnish me with facts. I have lots of opinions. I have lots of thoughts. I have lots of, of wisdom. But very often, I don't have all the facts. So I'm very willing to accept them from somewhere else. All right. Heyman, it's 11.01. Do you want to play the intro? Um, sorry, I'm actually uh, not ready. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> sorry. No, the funny thing is I got everything's working now. It's actually all three platforms can communicate with each other. And we got Alka on the uh, Twitter Spaces side. Uh, uh, yeah, and so that was the biggest worry for me. And the recording, I lost it because I reset everything. Oh, no. Sorry, I'll have it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll play it in the middle. We'll play. Yes, we will. We will play it as resetting the room. Um, so let's let's go right into it, as people like um, Chris Cuomo would say. This article, which you should read, is about the Lancet study about how climate change is going to affect health. And basically, the, a lot of this study focuses on heat because there's a great deal of information about how as the climate gets hotter, uh, older people, very young people, very poor people will suffer. And yet, on a list of 10 cities that are good places to be for climate change, um, along with, say, uh, Copenhagen and Minneapolis, comes Phoenix, the city I live in. Hi, David. And, you know, the reason for that is because Arizona State University 
is a big research university with a big uh, sustainability school. And people are trying to do everything they can to make solutions. And yes, I want to talk about the problems, but I also want to to talk a little bit about solutions because I think if we just taught about the problems, people get so depressed that they just think that... uh, they can't do anything about it. And, you know, it's it's like we're all at the point where we figure that recycling tin cans isn't going to work and turning off lights, which is what we used to do. So what are some of the big problems that, that climate change presents for health? Anybody know anything besides what I know, which is that the allergies in Phoenix are much worse than they used to be, and the heat in the summer is much worse than it used to be because the because the uh, sidewalks that we have built in the last fifty years while I've been living there don't allow the city to cool down at night. And on the plus side, what we have is great air conditioning. Piotr? Uh, yeah, how's my audio? Is it very noisy or can you hear You're great. Me? You're fine. No, your audio is okay. great. Great, okay. Um, yeah, I'm in a public place and the spatial audio is pain. Um, so um, just always like to check. But yeah, no, I think, you know, I, I work on climate change in my job and uh, I do a lot of advocacy and sustainability as a, as a sort of, you know, millennial trying to engage people on eco-related content on Instagram and TikTok and things like that. Um, and I, I wrote an article on my blog about eco-anxiety um, because um, amongst my generation and, 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 and Generation Z is the idea of, you know, a sense of helplessness, frustration, um, a general anger at the inaction that is being done by world leaders, people in power, policymakers, all these sorts of things uh, is, is really frustrating. You know, it's, it's why we've seen Greta Thunberg uh, become as popular as she has, because uh, you know, our generation is, uh, is, is, are the ones who are going to have to, uh, to deal with the, uh, the fallout, uh, from, you know, the uh, inaction in policies and, you know, more and more countries are, are putting or delaying back their, um, their, their climate commitments just in 2023. Uh, you know, the, the goal was that, uh, a new bill would be passed. Um, the goal to provide a hundred billion dollars worth of, uh, financial aid for climate issues has now been put back to 2023 because of the inability for countries to come to a consensus. Uh, uh, President Xi of China is not even attending COP26, and China is obviously a country that emits about 28% of global emissions. We can obviously go into the historical context of global emissions in the United States and Britain and everything like that, but as it stands at the moment, the total emissions presented China is, is the largest, and the uh, you know, it, it's uh, this. This leads to a, a certain amount of anxiety and uh, mental health issues amongst uh, everyone, but particularly my my age group, because you know we're the ones who sort of see it, and, and we're trying to be advocates. And, and, and it's it's that sense of in, in, inability to do anything, because whilst we can all do our part to reduce our plastic wastage, fly more uh, effectively, uh, reduce our um, food waste, and, and and things like that. Uh, unless you know companies and governments actually come together to make a change, then the individual 
the individualization, sorry, of climate action is 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 kind of worthless. Um, it's about seventy percent of emissions come from just the hundred largest companies. Um, so you know, it's this. We need to be looking at the big players as well as the individuals, and 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 really making a collective action to do something. But again, it comes down to the political will. So um, I'll I'll stop there. But yeah, it's uh, I, the the relationship of climate change to mental health is increasingly prevalent and uh, and something we need to do uh, to, to, to rectify. No, thanks. Well, I feel sorry for your generation, Peter, Peter, because because um, you are stuck holding the bag because when I was, here we go again, if you come every week or, you know, at least more than once, you, you know that I I'm fond of saying, as every old person is, back in the day. Well, back in the day, when when I was younger, uh, we didn't wrap things in plastic. And plastic came along uh, after, basically after I was born and took over the world. And I cannot imagine how much damage plastic has done that your generation is going to have to clean up. My grandchild who lives in London is very upset because he wants to get people to stop using single-use plastic and he feels like he can he can carve out this one little niche you know where he might be able to make a difference just in his family and he's finding out how difficult it is so even though we talk about how much money you know people do or don't allocate toward dealing with climate change it's not just a matter of allocating money to it Piotr. it's a matter of of will because we are going to have to stop using certain products and you know just change our way of life it is. It is. If I may, just um, you raise a really good point there because there's um, there's a term called greenwashing, um, which is basically it was coined in the 1980s when a when a journalist saw how uh, hotels were saying that you know if you want to you know get a new pair of towels or, or you know new bedding for your room, simply put them in the bathtub or don't, and you know it saves on it saves on on washing and energy. And actually, it was all just a, a ploy. Uh, the hotel was simply just saving money by not washing the, the things at all. Um, and, and this has become a very common occurrence. So like if you see a company say, oh, our, our clothing brand is um, is renewable, you have to really, really be uh, fact-checking to make sure that that brand is actually sustainable. Because increasingly, as the sustainability has movement has grown very mainstream in the past seven, eight years, um, more and more companies have jumped on the bandwagon of saying, oh, well, our content, our products, our brand is green, when actually they're just using words that sound green. So like if you hear a, a food company say it's farm fresh, what does that actually mean? It, it's a, it's, it, it plays on, your, on our emotions and sentiments of, you know, a, a small hometown grown farmland, you know, family, and it, it plays on that nostalgia and then sentiments that we like. Um, but there are only actual few words that are certified in uh, markets and uh, branding, which are actually like organic. Organic is an, a, a certified word that only certain companies and brands can use if their food or whatever 
um, actually is produced in a sustainable and ethical way. Um, and so it's really important for us as consumers to be on the lookout for the types of wordings we see. But the problem with this is it puts so much emphasis on us as consumers and not on the producers and manufacturers and suppliers. Um, and it, and it, as I say, it puts that it gives us that sense of guilt and pressure um, when it should really be the companies that are being held to account instead of us as individuals. Um, and that's where the mental health comes into play because it, it makes us feel more and more stressed that like we can't just buy the apple because we have to make sure it's you know not got GMO in it, it's not got this, not got that. And it's like, yeah, BP did a really good branding uh, about ten years ago on Twitter. They talked about how hey, share with us your best efforts to be greener. And it went viral because people were like, hang on, you're a, petro you're a petroleum company. Why on earth are you putting the emphasis on us to be greener? You're a, you're a company that's producing, you know, so much of the proportion of the emissions. Like, it's not trying to put the onus on us. Like, it should be on you. So that the marketing of, of sustainability has become really, really hijacked. And that just adds to that mental health issue again. Uh, so I, I think it's a really interesting area, psychology side, sustainability and marketing. Anyway, I'll stop there. Sorry for uh, taking so much time. No, that's okay. Because, my, you know, my problem is that, like, with food, because it, organic food has to be, you, you have to wait for your, your um, soil to, I don't know how many years, but you have to let your soil lie fallow for many years before you can claim that you're organic. But if the guy, but the guys who really do want to be organic and sustainable are finding out that whoever owns the land next to them is still using pesticides. And so what they're doing is not sustainable. This really takes global cooperation. And I'm not sure how you message global cooperation. I'm, I'm really looking for ideas because we all live in this world and we're all gonna have to live in it together. Um, Steve, Maria? Yeah, I'd love to come in. Um, I'm not sure whether you can hear me. I'm in a cafe and there's a bit of background music. You're great. And, uh, You're fine. Okay, fine. So um, yeah, I mean, you were talking about, I mean, before we go to the communication side, you are talking about the health uh, uh, challenges and impacts of climate. I mean, there are many and you've mentioned a few, but. You know, just to, to really, you know, look at the, the changing weather patterns and the, the extreme temperatures is going to uh, force migration on, on a, a very significant level where many places is just inhabitable. And obviously it changes the, the, the food production capability, the soil quality, uh, you know, the uh, 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 floods, of course. Some would argue that, that while some areas uh, warm or, or heat up dramatically, others you know, become uh, um, a little bit more livable. But it's a false argument because of all the other things. And, and you touched on plastics, but, you know, the, the effect of uh, microplastics in our food, there's just so many health-related issues uh, related, not necessarily only uh, to, to climate, but to the, uh, the actions people have to take to survive with these uh, economic imbalances. And an example would be, you know, if people are uh, chopping down trees, uh, or uh, to, to you know provide firewood for for cooking, for example, you know that gives uh, respiratory problems, uh, significant respiratory problems, but it can also incre increase uh, desertification, uh, and of course 
you know, uh, uh, collectively uh, increases, you know, the carbon going into the atmosphere. So, 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 you know, so, um, so although there are you know, the, uh, the, the short, medium and long term effects of climate change itself, um, there are the, you know, the actions uh, uh, that people are taking in the absence of, of uh, you know, the right level of economic activity pointing in the right direction. So, so back to your question around action. You know, yeah, yeah, we need to, to win uh, hearts and minds, and and, um, and I think the term sustainability and, and even climate change is very negative for an awful lot of people. There was a really amazing um, uh, interview with uh, someone called Paul Hawking. Many of you may know, uh, with a gentleman called Rich Rolls, and I'll, I'll try and dig it out. Uh, uh, oh, I heard to, that. Uh, that was marvelous. It was fantastic, wasn't it? And it, it maybe yes. uh, it, it's one of the. The, the, just a suggestion, I know that the links have gone live just uh, today, but you might be able to use Linktree as your link, and that gives you then option to deliver several links at the same time, um, just at the top of your room. And, um, but, but uh, you know, on that Rich Rolls and uh, um, Paul Hawkins. Hey, I'm proud uh, of myself that I got one link up. Hey, listen, I think you've done fantastic. This is the first link I've seen, and I'm very excited about it. Um, so, uh, well done. But, yeah. Um, that interview is really good because it, it, it really looks at how Paul Hawken uh, communicated, you know, when you have polarization, but to bring people together on the things that they, they can agree on. Uh, and uh, language is so, so important on that. And just one other thing, there was uh, something where uh, uh, the, the, the Republican pollster, Frank Luntz, was speaking at an event that happened last week, the Milken Institute event in, in Los Angeles. And what was very interesting is you were talking about language that, that works well with people or language that is very negative for people. And, and an example was capitalism plays very, very badly with an awful lot of people. And uh, uh, sustainability as a term does as well. And it provides some, some uh, uh, exciting alternatives. So I'll, um, I'll, I'll try and uh, post you some links to that and you can take a look. But um, I won't spend any more time other than to say, you know, uh, part of my work and my mission is all about reinventing finance uh, so that we can uh, really scale up and speed up how we fund the solution providers and, and uh, the uh, recognize that finance isn't working for the world in either our finance, financial institutions or, or, or funds. And in order to tackle these things and deliver the solutions, we absolutely need to capture hearts and minds using media innovation and communications innovation, but we also need investment innovation so capital can uh, have the greatest impact that is positive rather than, as often as the case, negative in our, our current systems. And you know, just to say uh, a very quick hi to Jota and David and uh, you know, other, uh, Gregory and other friends in this room. Um, um, but, but, um, and, and then just finally, uh, my room this evening is um, at 10 o'clock talking about climate so 10 o'clock UK time, it's uh, just under three hours from now, where we're talking about uh, climate and SDG funding gaps, barriers and bottlenecks. And uh, Francine, I can see that you, um, you, you've uh, linked the Paul Hawk and uh, uh, Rituals podcast. So very impressed with your, your technological skills. Francine, your microphone yeah. might be off. Oh, thank you, Heyman. This is this is such a great game for me because I I discover things on the internet all day long, and now I can share them with everybody. 
And that, that is just so amazing. Oh, help. What was that? <laughs> that was uh, Steve's uh, website, actually, what he just mentioned. Uh, uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, but the, uh, yeah, the, uh, Boy, I, you know I, what? Uh, we're gonna we're all going so crazy with clips that if you don't, you know, click on the link and and make your own bookmark for these clips, they may go by so fast. <laughs> act now! <laughs> act now! Yeah, act now! Super exciting! Super exciting! Thank you, guys. Thank you, Steve. Maria. Maria. Yes. Hello, Dr. Kansin. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hi, thank you for inviting me. Um, I would like to echo what you said, that uh, to overcome the climate change issues and achieve the so desirable net zero, I think that it's a collective effort. And the way I, I, I consider this subject is familiar free Key element one, we as a society must be mindful about our, uh, about sustainability. Uh, we must be mindful about, uh, on a, on a, on a daily basis, uh, for example, how much, how amount of uh, water we use, uh, if we're using plastic or not, if we're buying organic food. So it's a behavior that we as a society must uh, incorporate in our daily life. Also, as somebody mentioned earlier, uh, companies play a, a significant role because uh, emissions comes from companies. They must incorporate uh, sustainability in their business model, their corporate social responsibility program, and also uh, when disclosing the ASG factors, um, there is a lot of work to do on that side because well, the, the metrics are not so uniform, but, uh, well, it, 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 that is another cool conversation, but, but it's also very important that companies comply with all the regulations and incorporate sustainability in their business models. And also, I think that the state plays a very important role because the state must control the companies either by incentivizing or penalizing the companies. So, just to summarize, uh, I think that it is uh, a collective effort. We as individuals must collaborate uh, to reduce the, the emissions. Also, the companies must incorporate sustainability in their business models. And when disclosing the, the ASG factors uh, appropriately. And also the state. The state uh, went up uh, enacting the regulations and also uh, that regulation should be the enforceability is very important. That regulation must be complied with. So, yeah. Maria, some companies have already figured out that climate change will affect them. You know, in other words, like for instance, at big agribusiness companies have realized that they are going to be very much affected by drought. And other companies have also figured out that they are going to be affected. I used to have a, a link on that too, but I can't find it right now. But there, there are some companies who have, they, they may have been greenwashing before. And I think most of them were greenwashing in the beginning, Steve. But I think a lot of them 
have have realized, oops, climate change is really going to be a business risk. And once it gets, it used to be part of everybody's corporate social responsibility report. But now I think it's going into the risk management side. And once it goes into the risk management side, it, it gets much more emphasis. So I guess that's good, but it also means that things are getting worse. David, hi. Hello. Hello, my fellow Anthropocenes. <laughs> that's who we are. That's with the dawn of the Industrial Revolution. We thought we had everything figured out. We unleashed this monster of consumption at all costs. And then very recently, we've, we've changed our, our business context from recognizing multiple stakeholders. You remember, actually, it was Nixon who helped birth the EPA, which, you know, People should talk more about that. A lot, of, a lot of other things about him weren't so popular, but that was a big deal. And now we have a profit-only kind of concept that's driven our corporate culture. So, what I, when I you know, thank you for allowing me to join you, Dr. Francine. And I, I would like to. I've been my new startup is all about this, and when a lot of this is symptomatic. And I think you kind of touched on a little bit earlier, but what the words I like to use to frame this conversation is it's our culture. It is literally in the definition of our anthrop anthropocene, our anthropogenic culture. And we need no less than a almost, I mean, whether it's the evolution or revolution with regards to the system change that's required. So the way I structure how to organize how I think about it, I think of three legs on a stool. The legislative, which gets most of the press because, because of the Paris Accord and thanks to uh, Al Gore, it's, it's, it's something that is kind of you know, recognizable in terms of a, an issue. Uh, but, you know, we were doing a lot of finger pointing to the legislators, okay? But that is a leg on the stool. The other two legs on the stool, one is supply. We have an electric or a power grid that really is not so helpful on this problem, right? So with regards to the amount of fossil fuels used to generate electricity in our way of life and, and work styles and all of that. And then finally, there's the demand side of that, right? Which again, gets back to before you point the finger at legislators, like, you know, as you're driving your gas guzzler and all this, we all, everybody, sure, there are people who are absolutely... And then the corporate segment are way more responsible in terms of their uh, contribution to the issue. But we really do need a culture change. You know, we, we, and the way I frame it, we need to evolve our species, quite frankly. Okay. But I, I, I'm, I'm going to yeah. give a low-key plug for your new venture. But first, I want to comment on what you just said, which is really pretty funny because in Arizona right now, we are growing very quickly. Don't ask me why, but people are coming to the desert to live. So we're, we are growing very quickly and we are, uh, we are needing more power. So, but we are not wanting to use coal fired, 
nuclear-fired power. Our nuclear power plant is 30 years old. And, you know, the utility company is asking for a rate increase to, um, to, to, you know, raise money to build new power plants. In the meantime, my environmental working group friends are putting pressure on the, the utility company not to raise rates and on, you know, another, you know, more or less orthogonal um, position to that. They're saying that no, no longer should the utility company be allowed to uh, turn off people's utilities during the summer in Arizona because the people will die. So that should lead me into your, your uh, plug for your company and gamification for behavior change. Am I right? Oh, well, you know, I, I'd rather just first, you know, I grew up in Vegas, Dr. Francine, and my undergrad, oh, my under, well, my undergraduate was, I'm a Sun Devil undergrad. So I, I spent a few years down in Tempe and Mesa in the okay. 80s. So I, I know, I understand. Uh, but uh, there's a, there's a, there's, how can I say it? There's a uh, cold water splashing, uh, you know, there's a whole um, awakening that everybody has to to do right so you can't have your cake and eat it too you can't you can't like summon the green energy grid without paying for it right and all of these things so there there is and that that's where we get into some of our our bigger challenges quite frankly with regards to how do we as a culture collaborate to steer the ship of humanity right in our culture so i mean until and, and, and I like to throw the same old metaphors about in the olden days, I do that too, because it was a different world. We had problems and we have new problems or different problems now, but it is good like being a student of history. I think it at least allows you to look at problems from different perspectives, right? So, I mean, I can take, I can dive into any one of these. Um, the, the, the one thing I'll, I'll give 10 seconds and there's no, and I, I did not come here to, to plug. I just love the topic. The demand thing is really where I'm going to be dancing in terms of what I'm my contribution to this, which is to evolve our species. We have to change the way we think. And if you think back at digital health, like what motivated me personally to lose weight and things like that. So, you know, gamification was pretty effective there. And there are a number of people doing having similar approaches. But, you know, it's an all hands on deck problem because it's existential. Um, so in any case, I'll stop there, Dr. Francine. Just pass the mic whenever you like. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on to Manaz. But I, I just thought it was so funny that these three different factions are fighting with Arizona Public Service. The we need more power, the we can't turn the power off, and the we won't let you raise your rates you know, to generate the money to build more power. And it's like, if I were the president of Arizona Public Service, and it's not a utility that's very beloved in Arizona, but no utility is. But, but you know, if I were the president of that utility, I would just one morning say, well, I'm not getting out of bed anymore. This is almost an insoluble problem. Can we... Can Go ahead. National. Let's go to federal policy. One person, Senator Manchin, stands between Biden, 
trying to simply put the simple levers of carrot and stick on the utilities at a federal level. Manchin, his position, and because of just how tight the how tight the, the scoreboard of the team is, right? Um, he, uh, for whatever reasons, that's a whole different type of thing. If you want to dive into that, but he believes that they will just naturally, you know, the free market, <laughs> wink, wink, they will naturally have a greener, you know, greener uh, supply that they use to 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 deliver their customers. But uh, w- one of the key parts that that sadly just evaporated was was the simple use of the federal tax code with with incentives and sticks to get our grid green in 10 years so it's at a federal level it's at you know state level you know it's but we're talking about it that's the good thing it starts with talking about it and that's where we're starting it's kind of uh yeah i'll stop there thanks dr francis (laughs) Okay. If I'm honest, David, we, we need not so much talking anymore. We need action. Um, that's the whole point, you know. We're getting frustrated with the uh, the continued discussions and the lack of political will and desire to actually do something. Uh, which, you know. Yes, but also and a big, huge kudo to the UK with their greenwashing laws. Everybody, if you want to learn what action looks like legislatively, go to the UK and learn what they're doing. They are taking action to legislation. Thank you for bringing that up, really, about the greenwashing. Yeah, thanks, David. And, okay, Manaz, let's let's hear from you. Hello, Dr. Francis. Hello, everyone. Uh, interesting discussion. So I'm not an expert uh, in any way. I just, um, I feel like as a human being in this planet, we all live in... Um, Uh, on a daily basis in a scary movie and a monster above us is just flying and we don't see that monster, which is the climate change and global warming. Um, And sometimes I'm I'm just, you know, when I sit in this room that we discuss the global warming and climate change and then the fossil fuel and all of that, and then we're talking about the other resource of the energy and looking at it, all of those uh, essential elements, even the phone that we are holding comes from petroleum. So petroleum, it's a big part of our life. If we just take the fuel uh, for uh, daily you know, living out of it, it's a valuable uh, um, energy is a valuable source of many, many technology that we are having as a, you know, uh, advanced humanity race in this planet. Um, in reality, it doesn't matter if we pay attention to the global warming or not, the planet Earth is going to compensate and it's going to survive. And probably if we don't pay attention, we are the one is not going to survive and we're going to be the last human species on this planet probably if we (laughs) don't mutate and becoming a new race that can survive the new uh, environment. Um, But when I'm looking at all this, um, you know, conversation, I'm wondering what's the replacement for asphalt? What's the replacement for plastic that we are using on a daily basis? Uh, gadget that we have uh, and and that is something it just um, yes we can have a nuclear power plant we can have in places that it's possible to have the solar panel or the wind turbine but in reality 
in all this technology, the trace of petroleum were the replacement. Yes, there are some little here and there, but in reality, how much is going to cost to produce like the asphalt replacement that uh, they're working on it in just in a laboratory and um, have that, you know, to become part of our, you know, regular uh, uh, life. Uh, these are stuff that I just really sell. It, it has a big question mark in my mind, and I haven't found my answer. And I would love to, you know, listen to the expert and follow you guys to see where we are heading. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Manas. Lavina. Lavina? Are you with us? She's running. Do you still do you still want to add to the conversation? If not, let's move on to census. Census. Yes, hello. Good morning. Hi, Dr. Francine. Yeah. Thank you for this panel. Um, a great discussion. Um, so I'm going to try and answer first your topic, which is how climate change impacts health. Now I'll talk on two regions. So for instance, within the tropical region. She got disconnected. Well, I don't know what happened there. I do. Okay. <laughs> I was, I do this at least once every room. I, um, inadvertently moved you to the audience because I was extremely interested in who you were and I was trying to read your bio. Okay. I have to train okay. myself. Oh, I'd rather say just me. I do not always talk. No, I yeah. <laughs> Okay. So and I have the courage to admit it. That's Thank me. you. <laughs> Thank you. Go on, Sansis. All right. So I was talking about the impact in the tropics. Now, I have noticed Pretty much within the African region, we have had an increase of flooding um, compared to the normal occurrence along the Nile River, you know. And with that means the amount of um, waterborne diseases have really increased. Um, looking at cholera, at typhoid, and malaria, all of those have increased dramatically than they were before. And so, you know, this, this, these are things that are happening. And I, and, I, and I know you also stated about the West Nile um, disease that is also occurring within the American region. So we, we have that, which was something that wasn't really always there, you know. Um, and I mean, that has dramatic impact, right? Especially malaria. Malaria impacts your blood plasma. Um, if you are in our tropics, tropical regions in Africa, find that you're getting malaria at least once a month, okay? And this also happens to newborn. So it's impact and the number of losses of life is, is really, really very high. So that, that, that's one thing that I have noticed. And I think I was just going to bring it back around to some of the discussions that were, were talked about here. The issue about all of this is that first I see from the language that's used to discuss issues of climate change, a lot of it is kept at such a high 
intellectual level that creates a gap between those in the ground who really feel it, you know, um, in a way that it's discussed as if it's some kind of a bourgeois issue, educational-wise, political-wise, versus the fact that it's those on the ground that are really highly impacted by all of these issues as a relation uh, related to climate change. So I, I, I think... I think that perhaps need, needs to start changing. Um, and when you look at, for instance, COP26 is starting, I think, tomorrow? Or is it Sunday, Friday? actually. Sunday. Yes, tomorrow is Sunday. Oh, 31st, okay. 31st for everyone. Uh, whatever <laughs> okay. day. <that> so <laughs> you, you, you notice that first, I know people who, try, who are trying to go from the tropic regions in Africa. Um, they had issues getting into their flight because the airlines say the vaccine that they were given was fake. These are government officials that are all vaccinated. <laughs> there was a whole argument where they had to call all the diplomatic ties to discuss it, that the vaccination the government officials received were fake. Yet these are vaccines that were provided by COVAX, okay, the international group that's been trying to fund vaccinations through WHO. So a lot of them had to wait at airports, miss some of their flights and get onto another flight for them to get to Glasgow and others might not get to Glasgow. But even within these discussions, you usually find there are a lot of round tables where it's the top entities that are discussing issues to clim of climate, but you don't have the communities that are being impacted by it. So you look at your islands that are really going to be underwater in years to come. You look at some of the poverty-driven, poverty countries in Africa who, for instance, our countries along the Nile who are really feeling the impact of climate change and those in the desert regions, they are not there. They don't have a seat at those tables to tell their stories or to even talk about the impact of climate change. So how will people ever know how much impact it actually has on them? You know, because even if nonprofits go and do research, donors do research in a way that it drives their own decision versus the issues on the ground um, and the solutions those on the ground have for it or prefer to work on it. You know, so these, these are really just stretching um, all the reins of the different tangles that exist because of climate change. And I, I guess I would add the rest later. Oh, okay, good, because Piotr is dying to hop in. No, it, a whole bunch of other people on stage that I would like to get to before the end of the room. If, if I make just a tiny quick point on uh, regarding what Census uh, uh, just mentioned. Uh, oh, sure, Eli, you haven't spoken yet. So, you. well, yeah, this is this is the point that I wanted to make, but uh, I think it's it's really important to realize that you know Africa, for instance, is responsible for under three percent of cumulative uh, carbon dioxide emissions, uh, but they're going to, or people in Africa are going to be disproportionately affected by some of the things that have been mentioned. Uh, the, the islands which are, you know, in danger of being underwater or at least losing significant portions of their area, uh, they contributed negligible 
uh, CO2 to the total that's driving all of this. And uh, they're not being uh, heard and they're not uh, being represented at COP26. And it, it, it really is disgraceful, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to come in on that, um, if that's all right, Dr. Francine. Go, um, go right ahead, and then we'll go back up to Gregory. Go ahead. I'll be very, very quick. Uh, it's just, this is my – so I've started working in the World Bank now on, on the nexus of climate change, fragility, and um, security, because I'm really, really interested in the relationship of how uh, environmental degradation, climate change – uh, interrelates with the, you know, intensification of uh, violence and conflict. And, you know, I'm really, really glad to have, have heard your, your points, uh, census, um, because, uh, you know, what we're seeing increasingly is that the drivers of conflict aren't conventional ones of like, you know, nationalism or war or something. It's, it's um, like, look at uh, Nigeria, for example, the, um, there's been huge escalations in intercommunal violence between herders and farmers. Um, and this leads to a breakdown in discussions. This leads to a breakdown in, uh, in communication. And then this can escalate into um, frustrations, a loss of livelihood. Uh, and this is how people become uh, turned to sort of groups like Boko Haram because um, they lose their livelihoods and they think, well, if I'm not going to get supported through the government, I'll move to group extremist groups. Uh, the same happened in Somalia. Uh, because of the impact of environmental uh, degradation on coastlines and the fishing opportunities for the Somalian population, they turned to piracy uh, in the early 2010s. So piracy was very prevalent. And, and so the point is, is that unless we do something to, to mitigate climate change in a broader scale, it disproportionately affects the most vulnerable, marginalized communities in the world. And the point of all of this is... Um, but at the end of the day, you know, developed countries, if we want to call them that, are the ones that, you know, they sort of think, well, I'm going to focus on my issues first and I'm, I'm going to, you know, be negligibly caring about the, um, the developing countries. But the point is, if you don't take care of the developing countries and the marginalized and vulnerable communities, island nations, um, low-lying uh, communities are all going to be forced out by rising sea levels. And then you have a huge huge population of climate change refugees so where are these people going to go so the point is even if the um, uh, uh, you know global north doesn't want to do it for their own altruistic reasons they need to do it for pragmatic ones because at the end of the day it's going to come back and bite them because they're going to have to deal with the fallout of climate change and environmental migration uh, i'm not trying to sound callous when i say this it's just like you know we need there to be momentum gathering this because at the end of the day we all live on the same planet uh, and the adverse weather effects that we're seeing in the northwest of America, that we're seeing in Africa, in all these places, is evidence that climate change is uh, accelerating and intensifying. Uh, and fighters all in the air. Sorry for that. I, 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 very passionate. You, I know you are, and we're going to do another room on this because I can see um, that this is not going to be finished. And it's it's so important. But you're so right because... The I just, again, Business Insider had an article on the top five countries, and I didn't clip the link, but, um, I, you know, I can put it up some other time. Um, the top five places to be secure from climate change is, um, 
are the Scandinavian countries and Seattle, Washington. I mean, and that's why. No, 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 not Seattle. No, no, no. <laughs> I live here. No, I'm kidding. I, I'm being silly, yeah, tongue in cheek. But it's on, the, it's on the list. That's what I'm saying. Um, Gregory, hi. Are you still there? Yes, I, yes, Gregory. People yeah. just fall asleep on this oh, uh, never stage. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Yes. Perfect. That was I was in the Matrix earlier, so I'm glad that I got out of that. Um, yeah. So um, of course, Heyman and I both know the best place to be for climate change is either side of Lake Ontario. Yeah. I'm near Rochester, New York, and I've got the north covered. Yeah, yeah. People around this lake think we, you know, we have no reason to move. So that's why I'm not moving. Anyway, um, you know, it's listening to all the, um, I guess, the physical effects of climate change, and of course, I, I tend to look at things from a different perspective, and so I'm thinking about the mental effects of of climate change and. Um, you know, the mental impact on people related to climate change, both those that are impacted directly and and some of us who <laughs> who are, you know, trying to, you know, make something happen and with, uh, you know, frustration getting, you know, whether it's big government, big corporations to step up and do. So, um, yeah, so I don't know this. We talk a lot about the it's, it's in vogue now to talk about psychological safety within the corporations. And again, I think there's a lot of people uh, within corporations who can um, do something or if, if they're willing and able to step up and do something. But because of this thing called lack of psychological safety, um, you know, things get buried, things get stuffed. And then ultimately, I think, you know, I, honestly, I think people... Um, have the potential to break down as a result of um, being unable to do anything, uh, unable, unwilling due to, you know, the power structure or whatever. So um, I think there's going to be a a big mental health fallout um, as we, as we wrangle about this thing. So. Well, there is, that's, that's, that is, that is the point. Um, Okay. Okay. I'm resetting the room, and this is a very special reset. Uh, this is These are very important topics that we discuss in here. Every single one of them is important, and I want to keep doing them. And I have this little karma coin. They, they're, they're these little coins, they, they digital. They cost $1.90 or something like that. And I just need to have the economy around the coin moving at all times with some buying and selling so that it enables this room to keep being supported by me and Heyman. Because the way I pay Heyman for his expertise is in karma coin. And uh, we really are a great team and we work really well together and we're both passionate about all these issues in the rooms. So please get on rally.io and support the the creators of this room. It's um, you can do whatever you want. I'm begging. No, I'm not, but you know what I'm saying. Um, Tiffany. Hi there. Um, thanks so much for having me on stage. Um, I think that I know that 
uh, you guys are on you know, racing against the clock. So most of my points were actually covered by um, by Gregory, Heyman, and Census. So I think I'll just yield my time so that we can continue with hopefully some more fresh ideas. But yeah, like the land use issues, increasing temperature, extreme weather events, um, the politicization and like issues with access to resources, those have all been covered. Um, and those are some of the things that I'm interested in as a public health professional. Um, so I think that, yeah, I will be, uh, yield my time and um, Eli or Barbara can go next if you're okay with that. I'm definitely, okay. I'm definitely okay with it, but I want you to come back next week. We're going to continue this subject because we haven't even begun on the part that I want to tackle, which is solutions. Barbara, hi. Barbara? Hello, Barbara. Okay, Eli, would you like to add more to the discussion? Well, sure. Uh, before, you know, when I saw the, the topic of the room, I did a little bit of research. And uh, I, I think that some of the things that I found would have already been mentioned. But, you know, it, it, it just bears repeating that uh, uh, even even for those who, who only see the world through self-interest, uh, climate is going to, uh, and, and from the United States perspective, climate is going to bring uh, uh, more Zika virus, more West West Nile virus, uh, um, more uh, um, uh, oh God, what they call more cholera. Uh, cholera doesn't do too well um, in, in North America, but it 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 could start doing better uh, with higher temperatures, and that would be a greater challenge for for uh, um, disease control. Um, there. There are a range of things that we, we've had to live with a long time, as you know, was mentioned earlier, malaria became, becoming more frequent in, in Africa. And you could go down a very long list of things uh, in, in, in those categories and beyond which uh, it's not certain, you know, how uh uh SARS-CoV-2 uh made it into into humans uh and even leaving aside the the conspiracy theories and the uh um the the potential uh um lab accident hypothesis which you know honestly I don't think is likely but also can't strictly be ruled out because we've seen that happen with other viruses in the past um but you know, for a long time, uh, pangolins were suspected as the intermediate host from bats to humans. And whether or not that's actually the case, uh, the reason it's taken so seriously is that there are so many shifts in the ecological ranges of different animals that may have their own uh, set of pathogens that, uh, that, you know, they've adapted to and other uh, animals, you know, such as uh, intermediate hosts, such as pangolins, uh, as well as humans uh, going into different areas, uh, you know, often because they're desperate uh, for resources when their uh, traditional sources of livelihoods have been disrupted. So, the, the, you know, this pandemic may or may not into different areas, driven by uh, you know, often certainly because they're been, desperate uh, for resources when there's uh, traditional sources the of life of such things happening in the future uh, would only increase. And uh, that, 
you know, we, we already have enough challenges. We, we don't need more. So uh, yet another category of reasons to uh, to uh, do what we can about uh, uh, reversing uh, climate degradation. Do do some more research and come back next week with some solutions, please, Scott. Uh, I think Barbara on mic for a second there. Oh, I thought she was back on the phone, Barbara. Yeah, hi, this is Barbara Annis. I just wanted to mention that I'm committing to buying your comma coins this afternoon, okay? Oh, thank you. That's very sweet of you. You're welcome. $2 each. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'll buy, I'll buy a lot, okay? Don't, um, don't, you don't have to tell me. I just, no, I won't, I won't tell I'm you. trying to create a shadow economy private. based yep. on karma. And if people yep. don't buy the coins, then it means that all they care about is money and not karma. You know, the right. person, so I want to, I want to prove that people are better than some people think they are. Anyway, thank you, Barbara. Come back no. next week and I talk will. about I, climate with me. I Scott. will. Sure. Scott. Hi, everyone. Um, so thanks very much for, for having me on stage here. Um, so I, I, this this topic is pretty near and dear to my heart and, and my effort of, of what I'm focused on. Um, and I think there are some pretty serious components from, from a health perspective, lots that have been mentioned already, but you know, to, to build on, on Eli's point um, from a virology perspective, from a um, what is going to happen when the, the climates change dramatically, when there's more, more moisture in, in, in certain places, um, than previously there had been, more flooding situations. This creates significant numbers of, of, of additional um, potential pathogens and outbreaks. Um, so I think, you know, not only the, the normal actors of viruses that we currently see, but we're going to start to experience a significant amount more and a, and a wider variety of, of these, um, you know, potentially very uh very deadly diseases that, that can spread very rapidly with, with our current uh, global ecosystem. So I think that's a, a major concern. And I think, you know, the, what COVID has taught us globally is the, the big need for this. This is, you know, this is not me saying this. This is, has been touted for a very long time. The world just hasn't picked up and noticed it. Um, one of the big things that we still haven't learned our lesson and still haven't put money behind these, these challenges is just net increasing our manufacturing capacity um, of the, the capabilities of, of producing different um, volumes of, of vaccines and distributing that equitably across the world. Um, this is a global challenge and now we're in an endemic that probably will never change. Um, and we did have an opportunity to, to prepare for this, for this situation, and we didn't. Um, and we're currently not preparing uh, for what's to come in in the, the coming years ahead. So we're going to keep holding these rooms until we get prepared, Scott. Thank you. <laughs> I, Thank I you very, so. very the, much. For, I need to um, I, go on. I to just want to say one other one other oh, really sure. quick. So, you know, outside of outside of that, it's, it's the food. So the food production um, is dramatically going to be decreased, you know, just this year alone. Canada, I'm, I'm, I live in, in Toronto, um, but Canada alone has seen a reduction in the cereal crops. And we are, you know, within the top 10 producers 
in the world for cereal crops. I think Canada's number six or seventh on, on the global list of producing wheat. And we have a decline of almost 40% in our yield this year because of the heat dome that was over the West Coast. And that also includes all the other large cereal crops. So where this is going to really have a major effect in, in the global productivity of, uh, of our current agriculture systems, that's going to have a major supply. effect on food aid. Um, and, and how yeah. that's going to get distributed to the countries that aren't able to produce these types of crops and food. So that's a huge, huge component. All right. We're going to discuss that next week, too. I'm going to start finding the links for these for next week's room. Philip, you and Eli, and then we have to shut it down. Philip? Hi. Hi. Yes, thank you for the opportunity. I'm Philip from South Africa. And I just want to mention something which I think is a, is, is quite significant, and that is the loss of insects. I mean, it's just incredible that uh, read a recent article which states that in Europe, even in the national parks, the, the, there's a scent loss of insect biomass. I mean, that's just absolutely incredible. And I think, you know, some of, the, some of those insects are so valuable, most of them, all of them, in fact, so valuable in terms of the natural ecosystems and how the ecology works that uh, the loss of these uh, uh, small animals will, you know, uh, probably start off feedback loops, which we are not even aware of the consequences. Fortunately, the solution lies in rewilding. We have to bring back animals into all sectors, forestry sector, industrial agriculture sector, um, in natural areas. Uh, the area where I live, it's out of national parks, but it's in a sort of semi-wilderness area. But it's just incredible to see how little animals there is compared to the past. We have to change that. We have to reintegrate animals into the natural ecosystem. That's my point. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you, Philip. Eli, Eli Whipple, time ca traveler from 2045, bring us home. Hey, hey, hey. Um, thanks for bringing me on. I um, I don't know if I have anything pithy or amazing to say, so I will just uh, yield the mic to someone who has more. Okay, that would be me. <laughs> I'd like to thank everybody for coming. Once again, we've had an amazing discussion. There are places on Clubhouse to have amazing discussions. Uh, Heyman and I seem to be creating one. And uh, we would like to keep it going because it's we can bring minds together and perhaps get some solutions to these important problems. So a thousand thanks for showing up. I love you all. I, I hope to see many of you next week. And we're going to talk more about what we can do about climate change. And that has to do with both the... Uh, governmental and the individual um, changes in habits. And maybe the change in habits that you have to make, you know, isn't so much uh, getting rid of your single-use plastic as it is speaking to your government or your utility company and getting them in on board uh, some of these things. Piotr, I uh, I want you to I'm going to put you on on the uh, list of speakers and moderators if you're willing. And Barbara and uh, 
Yeah, and Barbara and David. So let's do it. And Eli, of course. All right. <laughs> That's right. I'm, I think I'm planning to hold a, a daily COP26 summary. So I'd love to have you guys join uh, whenever you're able to. Sounds good. Oh, I always, okay. I, I, I would also love everything. to join on the COP26. I will be doing some discussions on it on Twitter space. Oh, um, please, issues please. related to South Sudan. Yes. And please, please join us. East African Horn region. So that please, would be please join us. That would be awesome. And Steve Podmore's right. uh, Funding the Global Goals TV is on two hours the, in the clubhouse room. Climate and SDG funding gaps, barriers, and bottlenecks that he sent us. Yay. Okay, I'm going to close the room in three, two, one. Take care, all.